So we're in the middle of this series on giving and stewardship, and stewardship, of course, is much more than just giving, but we certainly highlight it during this time of year, and we turn to an unlikely place, to the story of Job, and the words of the text today are the same that were in the video with a different translation. And it's, it's part of God's response to Job. Job has been seeking God throughout the whole story, and we're going to kind of rekindle or remember that in a minute. But finally, Job, finally, God speaks. And these are the words, or part of the words that are shared. <clears throat> Do you give the horse its might? Do you clothe its neck with mane? Do you make it leap? like the locust. Its majestic snorting is terrible. It paws violently, exults mightily. It goes out to meet the weapons. It laughs at fear and is not dismayed. It does not turn back from the sword. Upon it rattle the quiver, the flashing spear, and the javelin. With fierceness and rage, it swallows the ground. It cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. Prayer is such a powerful moment that you've given us, O oh God. When we pray, we do so believing that you not only hear us, but are fully present with us. That something in our time of prayer happens. That the words we say aren't just idle phrases, but descriptives of what rise from the depths of our souls. We come today in this most meaningful of Sundays and ask your presence with us as we gather, as we share a word. May it be your word and our lives be your lives in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So the book of Job is not exactly the place that you would expect to turn to for part of a series on giving. I mean, not, not Job. Job's, Job's story is a tragic one. I mean, you might, you might expect a letter of Paul or some theological explanation of giving from Paul or, or a parable that Jesus shares on someone who gives or a story out of Genesis or Exodus or even one of the kings like King David. Something, something tangible like that, but Job really not, not exactly where you'd expect to go for this kind of topic. And, and yet, I think there is something we can pull from this story that can help us understand more clearly part of the nature of giving itself. What all what's what that's 
all about. So let's look at the story of Job through the lens of what is being given in the story. When the story starts out, Job, God and Satan are having this conversation and God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one better than that. And so Satan turns his attention to Job and Job loses everything, house, family, health, everything. And when that happens, his friends come to him. So let's look at the friends first. The friends come to him. And in their first encounter, all of the friends are there, all three friends that are represented in the story, and they're all there. They come and they simply sit with Job. They don't say a word. They say nothing. They sit and they listen, and they're there with their friend because they know he's in a lot of pain and grief. So that's their gift. They bring that initial gift to simply be there with him. So why do that? Why give of yourself like that? When time goes on after that, and each friend then comes and spends some alone time with Job, and each of them brings advice. You know, we always love the friends that bring advice, especially advice that we don't want to hear. But sometimes it's good advice, so they're trying. That's their gift. They try. They bring what they know to Job to try to help him understand maybe what's going on here and why this tragedy has befallen him. They say things like, well, maybe you did something that is, this is the response of that, that this is the result of something you did, that, and that, that's what one says. And then another one says, well, you repent a lot, Job, but maybe you haven't repented enough. Maybe you haven't been as faithful as you could have been. Maybe kind of a works righteousness kind of approach. It's not always good advice that they give, but they try, and that is what they're giving. They are giving him their time, their presence, and the best of what they know. Why do that? Why give in that way? Why spend so much effort on it? What's happening there? Do they owe him? Maybe they owe him. Maybe somewhere in the past he had kind of done that for them for some reason and now they owe him, right? They're paying a debt. We do this all the time. We talk about it all the time. It bugs us when someone has done something for us and we can't give back to them, right? You bought lunch today, so that means I'm going to buy lunch next time to write the scale. Scale better be even. You know, we don't want the scale to be like this. for any, Unless, of course, it's on my side. If I give more in the end, then that's fine. But, then, but that's, you know, we get all caught up in emotional behavior around this writing of the scales. It has to be equal, almost to the penny or even the dollar. That's close enough. But that, you know, maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe, maybe they're just doing it out of some kind of moral obligation to do what's right, right? Is that why they give themselves to Job in this way? Or is there something else going on, something more fundamental? God responds to Job finally. You know the story. You know that for the whole first 37 chapters, we hear Zippo from God, except for right at the very beginning. 
God finally shows up and gives of God's time to Job in the response. It's a two-chapter poem. Why did God do that? Surely God has more important things to do than spend time with one person, no matter how amazing Job is. Surely. Why? Maybe, maybe God was impressed with Job because for the first 37 chapters, Job is determined to see God, utterly determined, will not back off, wants to take his case to the highest court. I have a right to talk directly to God about this whole mess, like a tenaciously skilled climber, Job struggles to the top of the world and presents himself at the gates of the kingdom. Maybe God's looking at that and saying, well, that deserves a response. Is that why God gives of his time? Or is there something else? Something more fundamental. Job himself. Job, before he loses everything, before all that, he is giving 100% to God. 100%. I mean, there is no one better, as the story alludes to. Consider Job, there's no one better. He is giving 100%. He gives everything. Not, so, not his family, not so much. But Job does. Job gives daily offerings on behalf of each of his children and their families. He gives thanks to God for everything. Everything. Why? Did he read some rule that says you're supposed to do this? Well, I really don't want to give an offering every day, but the rule says, so I guess I better. When he loses it all, I find it fascinating that he continues to give 100% in a different way because he's in a different place. But he continues to give his complete attention and focus to God. All the way through, he questions God, he shouts at God, he complains to God, he argues with his friends about God, he even doubts God, but he doesn't leave God. He continues to stay with God 100%, gives 100% of his time and energy to God. Why? Why? Why do that? Why put so much effort into that kind of giving? Is he expecting something in return? Or is there something else going on here? Why do we give in the way that we do? Well, I think the answer, or part of it at least, it's a subtle answer, but it's there, can be found in the text we just read a moment ago can be found in this response from God. You have to live with it for a little bit to see it, I think. But when God finally speaks, Job's been searching for God high and low, here and there, in every nook and cranny, and God finally shows up. And the answer God finally gives is interesting. He doesn't do what we would expect God to do or want God to do, and that's to take Job's questions one by one and just kind of throw them here. That's, here's what's wrong with that. Here's what's wrong with that. Here's what's wrong with that. And just go down the list, but God doesn't. God instead, it's, this, it's a poem. It's a 
He's painting a picture of creation. It's as if instead of dealing with questions, God yanks Job out of his own world and lifts him up to a 30,000-foot level and describes creation below and says, look at that. Look, let's just sit here and, and look at this. Begins with creation itself. Are you the one who commands the morning? Are you the one who sets the dawn in its place? You might set the clocks an hour back, but the sun's coming up at the same time. Are you the one who has entered the seas and walked the depths? Have you numbered the clouds and set them in the heavens? Look at it. Look at what's happening there. Look at the lion who hunts for its prey with cunning and patience. Look at the, the eagle who soars high in the clouds and makes a nest on the highest mountainside. Look at the, the wild donkey who roams the pasture and seeks out every green thing. What about the horse who paws the ground in frenzied excitement? can't sit still when the trumpet sounds. Look at it. What God is doing here, of course, is putting Job in his place. But there's something else. God is also presenting Job with a different kind of world than the one Job lives in. The world Job lives in is a give-and-take kind of world. The world Job lives in is a mine and yours kind of world. The picture God paints is a complete contrast to that. The world Job lives in is our world. In our world, we give in order to receive. It's transactional. We have to fight it all the time if we want to live in a different way, but that's there. It's transactional. You pay for lunch, I'll pay for lunch. You pay for lunch. The world we live in sees people take and take and take and we wonder if there's a price for their taking that they will ever pay. In our world we see people give and give and give and we wonder if there's a reward for any of their giving that they ever benefit from. We, we think in those terms, giving is transactional. That's how we think because that's the world we live in and God is presenting us here with a much different world. A world that gives not in order to get something in return, a world that gives simply from the sheer delight of being alive, that giving is tied to the joy of being alive, not with the expectancy of something in return. Look at the horse, God says. In fact, what happens to Job in this encounter is the same thing that should happen to us. When we read chapter 38 and 39 of Job, this great poem, we should walk away from it the way Job walks away from it, is seeing our lives fully and completely intertwined, not just with life, but with God's life. To be reminded then that when we celebrate, we celebrate with God. When we struggle, we struggle with God. When we grieve, we are grieving with God. God is grieving with us. When 
when we give, we are giving with God. We don't give in order to get something in return. Our giving is a sign that we are fully alive. That's why God gives, because God is alive. That's why Job's friends give. That's why Job does it. Giving is not transactional. It's relational. We give simply in the off chance that we can participate in the gift. The editor of Presbyterian Outlook, which is a magazine that's put out there for our denomination, <clears throat> Jill Duffield is the, is the editor. I had a chance to meet her recently, and in the conference I was in, she gave a story about her young, their, their littlest boy, and this is what she said. It's a great story. She said, our youngest loves stickers. That's his thing right now, stickers, you know, and soccer stickers. That's, stickers are fine, but soccer stickers, boy, that's the deal. You can land yourself a soccer sticker, you have arrived. So one day I was in the <clears throat> store and I saw some soccer stickers in the clearance aisle and had to get them, you know, dang the clearance aisle. I got them for him and I, and I wanted to surprise him on the way to that afternoon. And so we were on the way to the park, and that's when I had the chance. And I said, oh, here, look what I found today. And I mean, you just thought I, oh, oh, they're stickers, Mom. They're soccer stickers, right? He hung on, he clung, he held them close, just whatever it is, soccer, man. I don't know. It's a little weird. But then he did something I didn't expect. And what happened is something I didn't expect either. When we got to the park, he immediately got out of the car, started running over, and, and I expected him to do that. And he went, he went up to every single person he could find. He started with the adults, you know, because they're on the fringe of the park. You know, they're not, they're, we're on the outside looking in and making sure everybody's safe, but the kids are inside. So he hits the adults first, goes around to every single one, walks right up to them and says, looks Stickers. Do you want one? They're soccer stickers. You know what the adult said? Every single one. No, no, no. Those are yours. Those are your stickers. He'd shrug and move on. Do you want us? No, no. Those are your stickers. He finally got past the barricade of parents and into the park. Went up to the children and he walked up to them and he said, do you want a sticker? You know what they said. <gasps> and they put it on. Mom, I got a sticker. It's a soccer sticker. Felt no guilt of not having something to give back. He expected nothing from them. Which one in this story? seems more alive. To give in this life is to be alive in this life.
To give in this life is to participate in God's life. Giving is not transactional, it's relational. To give in this church is a sign that we are alive in Christ our Lord. We are fully alive in Jesus Christ. And like the horse in the starting gate, we're chomping at the bit. Amen.